Good morning, my sweetheart church. It is good to be with you on what we are calling our Legacy Sunday, and you'll figure that out why in, in just a moment. My wife, Cindy, my greatest partner in ministry, she loves old murder mysteries like Columbo and Murder, She Wrote. Anyone else have a passion for that stuff? I'm kind of, eh. Uh, but I like her, so I'll sit and watch it with her. But almost as entertaining to me, uh, watching those old TV shows, is watching the commercials on those old-time TV channels. Um, retired game show hosts, who I'm sure are experts in their field, uh, are pitching gold or silver or reverse mortgages or a certain kind of insurance that they promise is going to protect my wealth going forward. And I'm so relieved to know that Chuck Woolery is, is looking out for me and looking out for you too. I'm sure it's a source of great relief. But these are kind of scary times, aren't they? The market is like a roller coaster. Inflation is brutal. Brazen thieves. Our son Cooper's debit card was cloned the other day, and they tried to, they tried to withdraw 500 bucks from his savings account. Uh, thugs walk into stores, and they snatch up designer purses with impunity, and then go right out uh, the door without any consequences. Unless, as it turns out, you try to run through a locked door at a Seattle store, which we have a story about here. <laughs> you know, that's really worth watching one more time. It's so enjoyable to me. Here we go, running away, running away, knocking himself out. I have to admit, that made my day. So it is kind of hard to know how to protect your wealth these days. So what if I could recommend a guaranteed strategy for your investment portfolio. And it isn't gold, and it isn't endorsed by Chuck Woolery, but the guy who offers this advice is actually pretty reliable. So why don't we turn and hear what Jesus has to say about your financial future and how to invest for it. As we continue in our journey through Luke's gospel, we'll be in chapter 12, beginning with verse 28. Luke chapter 12, verse 28. And here's how he starts out with us on this subject. He says, Oh, you of little faith, drop down a little bit, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations, everyone in the world seeks after these things, and your Father knows you need them. Instead, Jesus says, seek His kingdom, and these other things will be added to you. Listen as he continues, fear not little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with treasure in heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches you and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Would you say that last line with me together? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. Did you know that there was an investment that can never, you will never lose, never fail you, you, it'll never slip out of your fingers, it cannot be scammed from you, it cannot be stolen from you? Jesus says that investment is when you invest in the work of God's kingdom. And I want to talk about that a little bit today. Together, Pastor Ellis and I, we're going to make a case that one of the ways you could diversify your kingdom portfolio 
would be to be a champion of, to invest in the mission and vision of your own church, that it is a trustworthy and fruitful place to put your kingdom dollars to work. I received some interesting feedback recently that I don't know if I've ever heard before, and I've heard it from several people as I've tried to talk a little bit about the financial circumstance that we find ourselves in as a church. These folks repeatedly said to me, well, you don't talk enough about money. I nearly knocked me off my feet. I can think back to times in my ministry when I heard things like, you only talk about money. You talk way too much money about money. So apparently, I have swung too far in the other direction. So we're going to talk about money a little bit today. But more importantly, we're going to talk about why we believe the work of your church is a great investment. If you're a visitor here, just relax you can release the grip on your purse or your, your wallet. Uh, we're, but it, it is a good chance for you to kind of eavesdrop on our family business. Who knows, you might even get excited about being a part of this place as well. I want to speak about our future together as a church, looking ahead. But in order to set the context to remind you that this is what we do, we set vision and dreams and, and then we move towards it, I want to take you back 12 years, all right? So we're going to go forward, but first we're going to go backward 12 years ago. 12 years ago, I went to the elders of our church, the gathering is called The Session, and I said, you know, there are three things that we must give ourselves to in the coming decade. The coming decade, I mean, it was a long-term goal, but I said, three things that we have to attend to in this coming 10 years. Here they are, denomination, debt, and discipleship. I said, first of all, our denomination. We are not in a church home. We are in a church home that is, does not share our values, that is moving increasingly away from us. We need to find a new denominational home. Well, last June, we celebrated our 10th anniversary of our move into the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's one of the best decisions we ever made. It is such a blessing, and I'm grateful for that. So, denomination, check one. The second issue was debt. Before many of you were even alive, your church forefathers and mothers committed to building, to building buildings that would make a difference in our community. Three different building campaigns. And over the course of those campaigns, we accumulated a bunch of debt. At the high point, it was nearly $8 million in debt. And we were servicing that debt, but, but I said, we have got to get rid of that debt. We have got to eliminate every dollar of debt so that it will free us up. You will remember on January 3rd, 2021, that day came. We had paid our last dime of debt to the bank. We burned our last mortgage. We were debt-free, and it has freed us up to invest in our community and in our region as we've never, ever done before. So denomination, check. Debt, check. Discipleship. What did I mean by that? I told the elders, if you don't start hiring young this church will just get old with me. And the elders took us seriously. All you need to do is look up in the front of this service any given Sunday morning, and you will see the new generation of leaders that we have discipled and raised up to, to lead this, not only this church, but we've sent them out as well. And it has been a fulfillment of that vision in a really exciting way. So that was our dream 12 years ago. Uh, denomination, debt, and discipleship, and we would say, check, 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 and it would really be easy to say, okay, mission accomplished. Shall we just rest on our laurels? 
But we can't. We need to be constantly asking ourselves, what is next? What is God's next for our future? So early this year, your session, your elders got together, and, and we talked about that. We prayed about that, and we brainstormed about that, and we came up with a set of three priorities for our coming five years. Now, it's not like we're going to stop doing all the other stuff you got to do to be a church, but these are the three things we really feel called by the Lord to focus on. And since I've asked Pastor uh, uh, Ellis to be the, the leader of this strategy, I'm going to ask him to come up and share in a little more detail what these three priorities look like. Thanks, Pastor Mark. And thank you for your faithful leadership. I mean, if those three things in the last 12 years had not been achieved, we would not have the foundation from which we can move on to the next five years. And those 12 years are just you know, 35 years in total. So thank you for all that you have done to lead this church. As Pastor Mark said, in March, we sat down with our session, our board of elders, and we said to them, it is March 2027, five years from now. God has moved beyond our wildest dreams. What has happened? And we prayed and we threw things up on the wall, and we discussed, and we synthesized ideas, we collaborated, we shared it with our staff, we got feedback, and it became clear to us that the Lord was speaking to us and saying that in the next five years, we can expect him to move in a mighty way in three areas, care, share, and prepare. So first, care. Five years from now, we believe that we will have seen God having such an impact through Chapel Hill on Gig Harbor and the surrounding community that if Chapel Hill were to suddenly pop out of existence, this community would cry out and would say, where did you go? Come back. Just like the early church in Jerusalem, as Acts chapter 2 records, we believe we will experience having favor with all the people. Now, a large part of that's already in process with our Beyond These Walls commitments. Just in the last year, we committed $150,000 to the new Fish Food Bank building. We committed $50,000 to the rescue mission and many, many other gifts beside that. That's just the beginning. We see us maintaining this sort of level of financial commitment in the long haul. We want it to be so that any time there's a major new initiative in the community, they say, let's reach out to Chapel Hill and ask if they would partner with us in this. And as a result, we, are, we see ourselves giving away hundreds of thousands of dollars over the next five years in this way. Coffee Oasis, Empty Bowls, Gig Harbor Senior Center, Communities in Schools, Northwest Furniture Bank, Fish, and the Rescue Mission, you name it, we want to be a part of helping support the organizations in our community that are doing magnificent work. But it's not just about money. Our greatest resource is you, our congregation, our people. And five years from now, we see that every single life group in this congregation will be connected with a community partner, just like the ones that I have listed, and serving together to make an impact in this 
community. Now, right now, we have about 70 life groups. That's about 700 people who are connected to a life group. That means we have the potential to make a 25,000-hour investment every single year in our community by connecting life groups to community partners. Wouldn't that be quite something? But it wouldn't stop there. We have a dream, and it's a big dream. We might call it a big, hairy, audacious goal, a BHAG, a community care center, a physical place where specific under-resourced segments of our population could come and could receive help and be empowered to thrive in this community. Now, we already do some of the things we would hope to see in a community care center. For example, our deacons in their financial assistance ministry give away almost $80,000 every single year. We have a lay counseling ministry, 25 trained lay counselors who are inundated with requests for counseling at this time. And we have support groups for people who are struggling with grief or trauma or cancer or hurts or habits or hang-ups. But we're thinking, what if we took all of this effort that we're putting into those things, brought them together, added to them, poured kerosene on them, and lit a match? What if we multiplied this so that the Chapel Hill Community Care Center would become known as the place to go by every single person in our community who is struggling with debt or with loss or with anxiety or depression or with addiction or with suicide? We dream of such a place, and we even imagine it being located on the undeveloped corner of our property down at the four-way stop sign by Rosedale and Scancy. Can you imagine the sort of things God could do through such a place? So that's the first thing we see. We see God having impacted this Gig Harbor community through the work of Chapel Hill to such an extent that if we cease to exist, people would cry out for our return. Second, share. Five years from now, we see thousands, yes, thousands of people being born into new life in Christ through individual members and attenders of Chapel Hill sharing the good news about Jesus. We see every single attender of Chapel Hill equipped and empowered to reach out personally beyond these walls to share the good news about Jesus with their neighbors, their co-workers, their family members, and their friends that they might see them transformed by the life-changing power of a relationship with Christ. As Jesus commands us in Matthew chapter 28, go therefore and make disciples. That's what For the One is all about. Any of you heard of For the One? If you haven't, you will do soon, empowering, equipping, and releasing every single attender of Chapel Hill to invest personally outside the walls of these church. And we see every attender so invested in relationships with people outside the church, so demonstrating the love of Christ in those relationships that those people begin to say something like, I don't know what is motivating this person to love me in that way, but I want it. We see the love of Christ compelling people to explore the Christian faith. And then we see Alpha as the vehicle for that exploration. Here's what one young dad who recently went through Alpha said. He said, Alpha has changed my life and my family's life. It has taught me how to have a relationship with God, pray, and have a platform to ask any question I have about faith. 
I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and so is my family. I am now a leader at Alpha and helping guide people to a life with Jesus. This is the sort of transformation that we hear happening again and again and again through Alpha. Men and women who are transformed by the power of Jesus and then immediately released into ministry so that they might see others transformed by that same power. In fact, this young dad invited a friend to come to Alpha this fall and sit at the table that he was going to be hosting. And a couple of weeks ago, I got to sit down with that friend. And here's what this friend said to me. He said, six months ago, I was morally bankrupt. But today, because of Alpha and lay counseling at Chapel Hill, my life has been transformed, my marriage has been saved, and my family is on a different trajectory. And yet we believe, we believe we're only scratching the surface of the potential of Alpha. Recently, we launched our very first Youth Alpha, Alpha for high schoolers. And every single student in our high school ministry brought at least one unchurched friend with them to Youth Alpha. We literally doubled the size of our youth group by launching Youth Alpha. Isn't that amazing? But we don't just see Alpha in the church for adults and for youth. We see Alpha going beyond these walls. We see Alpha taking place in community locations. In fact, we're already speaking to one place, a place where people who might be intimidated to come through the doors of a church could come and explore faith in a safe, non-judgmental environment. We see Alpha taking place in prisons. We're in communication with the women's prison about launching Alpha there. Multiple Alphas in multiple locations, seeing hundreds, if not thousands of lives transformed as a result. But why stop there? What if we could do the same thing that we're talking about doing here in Gig Harbor in another community as well? What if it wasn't just here, but also North Tacoma, or Bremerton, or Silverdale, or Poulsbo, or fill in the blank? What if the same thing that we have done in Port Orchard with Kitsap House could be done again and again and again in other communities? Church planting, that's what I'm talking about. It is one of, if not the most effective way of bringing people to know Jesus. And in five years, we believe we will have planted another church, another daughter congregation of this church in a nearby community. And alongside that, we will have financially invested in multiple other church plants across this region and across our nation, local churches who are empowering their members to share the good news about Jesus with their neighbors and seeing lives transformed as a result. So five years from now, first, we'll have seen God move through Chapel Hill in such a way that this this community is so impacted that people would cry out if we cease to exist. Second, we'll see thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus through individual attenders of Chapel Hill and our church plants sharing the gospel. And third, prepare. Five years from now, we see every single Chapel Hill student who graduates from our student ministry fully prepared and mobilized to not only stay faithful to the Lord, as they enter higher education and the workforce, but to be so on fire for Jesus, so on mission for him, that every single person in their circle of influence is impacted with the love of Christ. 
As the psalmist writes, Psalm 78, we will teach the ways of the Lord to our kids that the next generation might know them and arise and tell them. Not just that our kids would know the ways of God, but that they would tell the ways of God to others. And as a result of this, we see college campuses and workplaces across this nation with missionaries sent from Chapel Hill. Students who have come through our church and who know that faith is about more than just going to church, but it's a life-giving, life-transforming mission that they get to be a part of and that through them, God is going to change the lives of others. You know, there's a statistic out there that 66% of church-going high schoolers who graduate high school stop attending church. We not only want to reverse that statistic and see 100% of high school graduates continuing to attend church, but we also want to see 100% of high school graduates on mission for Christ wherever the Lord calls them. But if that's going to be possible, we will need our whole church to work together to disciple our kids from birth to graduation so that they will not only know God's ways, but they will also arise and tell God's ways. And we believe that our role in that process is not only to prepare and mobilize our kids, but it's to prepare and mobilize parents and grandparents. You know, the church only has one hour a week to impact the lives of our kids. Parents have 167 hours. What if every single parent had a plan in which they felt confident and equipped to disciple their kids with the 167 hours that they have. Now, honestly, I think we got a ways to go in this. I was sharing with the young dads in my life group recently that I have little to no confidence in my ability to disciple my own children. And I'm a pastor, so I don't know how you feel. And that's why, as a church, we will launch a family discipleship academy, a place where we will train parents and grandparents and provide resources and tools to those parents and grandparents so that they can be the primary faith builders in their kids' and grandkids' lives. Through this, we will connect parents to other parents for mutual support and encouragement. We'll connect parents to grandparents, and we will train and mentor our kids so that they are equipped to face an increasingly difficult culture in which they find themselves. And as a result, we see every parent capable and confident to disciple their kids with the support of their church community. So five years from now, God's moved beyond our wildest dreams in three different ways. Care, share, and prepare. First, five years from now, we see God having impacted this local community to such an extent that if Chapel Hill ceased to exist, people would cry out for our return. Second, we see thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus because of individual members of Chapel Hill and her church plants sharing the gospel. And third, we see the next generation, prepared and mobilized to not only stay faithful to the Lord, but live a life on mission for Christ that many, many, many more lives might be impacted through them. Pastor Mark.
Thank you, Pastor Ellis, and thank you for your passion in sharing that. It shares the passion of the session for it as well. Care and share and prepare. Those are the, the three ways that we're hanging this vision of, as we look into the next five years. When, and of course, I would say this is not something new. It's not like we already aren't committed to all three of these principles but we feel called to double down on it. This will be a continuation of an expansion of what we are doing. And it starts right now. It already has started. So last year we began to build our budget to pursue this five-year vision. We built it. And then a funny thing happened on the way to our fiscal year. The economy got slammed. Inflation hit records highs. The markets dropped. And Candidly, so did our giving. And what we assumed was actually a prudent budget turned out to be more ambitious than we realized. I've been encouraged again and again just to share transparently the reality of where we are financially. So that's what I'm going to do. And I thank you for being here this morning to hear this family business. At present, we are down 10% year to year in our giving. Every quarter this year has been down year to year. We have taken all of the prudent steps you would expect of your leadership. We have frozen discretionary spending. We have frozen all hiring. But even after pretty significant cost cutting, right now we project a loss by the end of the fiscal year of about a half a million dollars. $500,000. I don't know about you, but that sounds like real money to me. And of course, our session, we have a, a rainy day fund that we have set aside prudently, and we may dip into our rainy day fund because it seems kind of rainy right now, but that is not a sustainable long-term strategy. You cannot deficit spend your way out of trouble, can you? Unless you're the federal government, then you just keep printing money. You've heard our five-year vision laid out so well by Pastor Ellis, but candidly, if we don't turn things around right now, we won't be able to sustain our current ministries and our current staffing levels. I realize the economy stinks, and I know there are some in this church family who are struggling just to put beans on the table, to pay for rent and for gas, and I get that. And it may be that you need to turn to your church right now in this time because we are prepared to help as we always have. Our deacons will step up as they always have if you are in need. But for many of us in this church, this economy, this inflation is more irritating than it is debilitating. That, that would be true for Cindy and me. We, you know, I will whine about $5 gas prices and then I'll fill up my tank with gas and drive off uh, wherever I want to go. Cindy and I realize that we are in a different place than some. We have always tithed. I hope you would expect that of us. We have always given more than 10% to our church right off the top in addition to other things that we support. But we realize that in a time such as this, when there are many who are struggling in our church family, that we who can must do more. And so we have prayed and we have raised our own commitment to our church on a monthly basis quite significantly, in part because we believe in this future, and frankly, it's what is required of a leader. You can't, you got to lead. You got to set the example. If I'm going to ask some of you to do the same, we better be willing to do it ourselves. But at a much more profound level, we believe the words of Jesus in this morning's text. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
We believe that when we tithe, when, I, when we give our, our money to the work of the Lord out of obedience and out of gratitude and out of worship, our hearts follow that giving. We have more skin in the game than the one who consumes spiritual goods and services but never thinks to contribute to them. And the more we fall in love with God's work, the more eager we find ourselves to be generous. At least that's, that's where we come from. I wonder, how about you? Where are you on that? Let me ask it this way in light of what Jesus said about where your treasure is there will your heart be also. If, what does your checkbook say about where your heart is? What does your checkbook say about your love for the Lord and, and His work and especially in your church home? If a forensic CPA were to review your spending habits, what would that person conclude about the things that you love, about the things that matter to you, about where your heart lies? And if there would be little or no evidence, if you give little or nothing to the Lord's work, may I ask why? Is, why is that? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think the reverse is true. Where your heart is, there your treasure follows. So what does your giving reveal about the state of your spiritual heart? Maybe you're new to the Lord, new to the church. You never even thought about it. Maybe you're not a very generous person. There are some of us who are wired that way. Or maybe, and this is probably more likely, maybe you're afraid. I, I understand that. I think most of us are a little fearful about this present economy and our future, which is why the words of Jesus are so sweet to me, and I hope they are to you. Listen to what he says in in verse 32. Listen to the tenderness of his voice. He says, fear not, little flock. Isn't that sweet? Fear not, little flock. And I'll be the first to say that I need to hear these words as the under-shepherd to the shepherd. I need to hear him say, fear not, little flock. Because I find it very easy for me to live in fear, to worry about income and budgets and programs and staff positions and all the rest. And I, first of all, must take heed of Jesus' words, and maybe you do too. Fear not, little flock, Jesus says. And then he tells us why we don't need to fear. This is the best part. This is the punchline. He says, because it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. We we have a heavenly Father who is pleased, who delights in giving us his very best. We are his heirs. We are children of God. We sometimes claw around like on the floor underneath the king's table wanting the scraps that fall from it. When in fact the father says, come, sit at my table, join with me in the feast. When we trust him, when we obey him, when we loosen our grip on the things that we cling to to provide us security, Jesus says it delights the father to give us every blessing. I wonder if you believe that. Maybe, maybe the difficulty of our church financial situation right now is news to you. And if so, that's our fault. That's on us. We need to do a better job of communicating our circumstances, keeping you informed. And we're going to do that, I promise. But my prayer is that now that you are more aware, that maybe the Lord will stir the hearts of those who love this church and love this mission. In fact, will stir the heart of every person to say, my heart is here. 
My heart is here, and I, I'm going to let some of my treasure follow it as well. So we want to help you in that journey, as in so many ways, we want to help you take one next step in that journey. Would you please look on the left-hand side of the pew? You'll find a stack of blue sheets. Would you please get those and play like ushers and pass them down your aisle? They look like this. We want to help you make a next step in your financial discipleship. And if you could turn to the part of the page, you'll want to read all of this, take it home, but if you turn to the part of the page that looks like a a, t- a pathway or a, a road, please. And we're offering you four possible next steps that you might want to consider in your giving. If you consider Chapel Hill your home, and of course if you're visiting, like I said, just relax. But if this is your church home, and so far you've never given anything, a great first step would be to give something, to make a contribution to your church home. Put some of your skin in our game. Or maybe the next step would be to automate it instead of just an occasional gift to say, I'm going to do this faithfully, regularly, every month. That is such a help to us when you do that. It makes such a difference. So whether you're on vacation or whatever, boom, it's coming. Or maybe, here's a next big step, maybe God is stretching your heart to to do what the Bible says is actually the minimum level of giving, which is the tithe, the 10 percent. Maybe this is the time for you to step up to the 10 percent commitment, a tithe. Uh, In some ways it's easier for me because I was raised by a dad who always tithed and always taught me to tithe. And when you learn it as a kid, it makes it easier to do when you get old like me. So maybe that's what God is calling you to do. Or maybe there are some of you, because we have faithful tithers, that the Lord might lay it on to join Cindy and me in doing something more beyond the tithe, maybe something a little more extravagant than 10%. These are possible next steps. My encouragement, my entreaty to you really would be that you pray about this, talk about it at home, and take whatever next step the Lord might be leading you to take. Recently, I had a guy who told me, you know, I walk in here on a Sunday morning, see everything going on up there. It looks like you got it all together. Honestly, I just figured Chapel Hill doesn't really need me. Any of you ever thought that way? My giving, that's not that much. They don't really need me. Well, it turns out we do. Everyone, large and small, especially now. So I'd ask if you would just take this and prayerfully consider what next step God might be calling you to take. I heard a song the other day. I was driving home from across in Tacoma. I was going across the bridge. I heard this song. I'd never heard it before, and it grabbed me like no song I'd heard in the longest time. I found myself singing these words. The, the song is called, I'm so blessed. In my best day, on my best day, I'm a child of God. On my worst day, I'm a child of God. I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed. I walked in, I was singing this song and dancing in front of my wife. She thought I had lost my mind. But I just captured this, my heart, and I thought it captured this moment when we need to remember that we are so blessed so I asked Pastor Gunner, any chance? And of course, magically, he makes these things appear. And so I'm going to share that with you. And I would love, as you listen to this song, I hope it captures you the way it did me, that you also prayerfully consider what is the next step that you might take if you consider this your church home in helping us move into God's future. And I'd love you to join me in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts to listen to this offering of music. Father, thank you for 
the blessings that you have poured out upon our lives. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we are like ungrateful children who just take for granted the goodness that is ours, but you gave it to us. And you call us to participate in your mission. You, you, you tell us that where our treasure is, there our heart's going to be. And so, Father, I pray that you would tune our hearts to pay attention to what you are asking this day. There's a lot that we need to accomplish. And Lord, you are the God of provision. You can certainly handle this deficit. I pray, though, it will be through the changed and inspired hearts of your people here. So would you remind us that we are blessed, and in that blessing we have an opportunity to be a blessing to others. For we pray this through Christ our Lord and all of God's sweetheart people said, Amen. I'm so blessed, hallelujah, blessed. I'm so blessed, hallelujah, blessed. today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.